Well, good morning. Woohoo! I have missed you so much. You won't believe it. Um, but I'm glad that you're back in here, actually. Last year, I preached to the walls. It wasn't that much fun. So it's nice to preach to people again. Thank you for the elders for arranging this. Uh, I think we, we got to thank the staff, Andrew and, and Bruce and the rest of the staff for, you don't really need me. Yes, which is a good thing. That's a good thing. And uh, for your support and, and for you, for your support through these months. It, it means a lot to me. We come back. We're not hugely in debt. We're, we're in a good shape financially. It's like praise the Lord and, and you're supporting and people leave, they leave. We're going to start over. We're going to go for it. And so that's where we are. And, and as I come back from sabbatical, um, I'm starting with a sermon series on, on how you re-enter the world after a pandemic, after a captivity. You can't read the Bible without some some, you know, the word captivity comes up a lot, like four or five hundred times. You got the big one in Egypt. You got the, the, the mini 70-year one. What's ours? 18 months at the most? Oh, they're 70 years. The word is used a lot. So we'll start with the definition this morning. Captivity. What, what are we talking about? Captivity is the condition of having your freedom limited involuntarily. It's being confined or trapped or restricted or controlled against your will. Sound familiar? It's where we've been. The opposite of captivity is emancipation and freedom and independence and liberty and choice. Our freedom was limited, our choices restricted, our lifestyles have been confined, and our behaviors controlled. We've, we've often felt trapped by this pandemic. But now things are turning around. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And slowly our freedoms, our choices, they're being restored. But we're coming back to a world that is very different. This past year has been a one long trauma. And trauma changes you. You're not the same person after a trauma that you were before. And so this morning, I want to do two things, and they are sort of, actually they are, unrelated. Number one, I want to let you know about me. And number two, I want us to, to explore what the Bible has to say and, and speak into these, this transition that we're all facing together. I'm a little rusty, so bear with me. Christy, I, only, I just talked to Christy for four months, so you know, no. <laughs> So I'm going to begin with some honesty about my life. I think you deserve that. I've been gone for four months. Sabbatical was not a vacation, although it might have sounded like it. For me, it was not optional. It wasn't a pleasure-seeking um, um, adventure. Before you judge me and think, oh, yeah, that is what it was, let me share my life from my perspective. I would say before I left that my emotional tank was at probably 20%. It was dangerously low. It wasn't pleasant for me. It wasn't pleasant <laughs> for those close to me. 
And if nothing changed, it was going to impact my health, and it was going to impact the health of this church family. And the elders could see that, and the plan had been on the works for a while, but as we rolled into December, it was clear that uh, something needed to be done. It was a rough patch. Why? I mean, is something wrong with me? Don't answer that question. (laughs) Why was the tank so low? Well, I'm not naturally tuned into what I really think and feel. I'm not that kind of a person. So I needed some help. So over these months, I did some reading. I listened to some other pastors who kind of helped me to understand where I was and why, because a lot of pastors were in the same boat. So why was my emotional tank so low? Family. I have three children. We did four weddings in 11 months. That was in the midst of COVID for three of them. It was all wonderful. It was pure joy. Don't get me wrong. But, they, but there's an emotional element to that, that that's, that's draining, at least for me. But I was also experiencing what every pastor had been experiencing last year. Did you know that a lot of pastors have been resigning lately? In August of last year, um, Tom Rayner wrote this, Studies Churches. He says, please hear me clearly. The vast majority of pastors with whom our team communicates are saying they are considering quitting their churches. It's a trend I have not seen in my lifetime. Some are just weeks away from making an announcement. At some point, read the New Testament from the perspective of what are the pastors doing? What are they going through with all of this stuff that's going on in the New Testament church? If I said the thought of resignation didn't cross my mind more than once, I'd be lying. But why? What are some contributing factors? Some, I think, are more true than others, but this is what kind of some pastors have surfaced. There was a waning interest in discipleship. You see, actual godly Christians are few and far between in the modern American church. It has grown with splashy programs and worship. It it appears to be huge, but how many actual godly believers can you find? Beyond the noise and activity, there can be very little edification and spiritual growth, and that's tough on a pastor. The modern church can look big and impressive, but it can also be hollow. It can be a giant loaf of bread with all of these leavening holes mixed in. Then there was the pandemic, COVID-19, and the response to it, and everybody, you know, you could skip church. Some of you didn't mind that, (laughs) according to Facebook. Some of it's legitimate, and that's perfectly fine. And some of you should have come or didn't come to church for health reasons, but you still had fun, which I just mean, you will see what I mean. I don't know what I mean. If you have physical issues that put you at risk, you should stay home but you need to also examine, am I just lazy? Is my commitment to God and His people, has it atrophied over time? Is the cup of coffee and jammies much easier? Or are you just afraid? You don't understand, I think, sometimes the scramble behind the scenes in the early days of this pandemic to put together worship that it might be a pillar of encouragement and normalcy in our lives. 
It took a toll on the entire staff. Probably no one more than Paul, who has his life back now that we're doing live worship. And then there's politics. The election certainly didn't help the unity of the church, did it? Some will say, ha, we need lower taxes. And others say, no, we need the government to provide a living wage. So we fight, or we inwardly boil. And I'd better pick just the right social issue on which to preach, or I'm not listening to God. If it's social justice, or abortion, or pornography, or trafficking, or teens, or whatever. And how much time has been spent on the patio talking politics? Would somebody who's new, a guest, could conclude that that's really what we're all about? It can overtake a church, but it will never provide a healthy environment for edification. And then there's the pandemic decisions. When the government decided in March, like what, 13th, Friday? Friday? Are you serious? Friday before a Sunday you make this decision? They did it like every Friday for six weeks. <laughs> to mask or not to mask was the question. And it became a recipe for fighting and division and skipping church. And you know what? Pastors get tired of making decisions that will guarantee that half of the church is going to be angry and leave no matter which decision you make. And those are the kinds of decisions we got to make every single week. And guess what? Everyone knows what's best for the church. <laughs> and everybody has a different opinion. You hate people if you make them put on a mask. You hate people if you don't make them put on a mask. If you hate God if you cancel church, and you hate God if you don't cancel church. And people's attitudes split very much on partisan lines. Half the church is opposed to any reopening. The other half is frustrated because we haven't opened, and so they're just leave. Some are scared to death, while others are convinced this whole thing was a hoax. Trying to minister to both ends of the spectrum is exhausting. And everyone's an expert. And I got to the point where I said, I cannot do this anymore. And many pastors don't do it anymore. And they left the ministry. Somebody raised this, I'm not so sure around here, is disrespect. One pastor said, America has always been disrespectful to authority, and this trend has gotten worse. The past couple of years, disrespect toward politicians and police and various authorities has been on full and violent display. And people take this same attitude toward their pastor. Unless you're an extrovert, people-pleasing pastor acting like everybody's best friend and you never take a stand on anything, then the pastor's your own private punching bag. It's not just one single incident. But, you know, after 27 years, the accumulation can be exhausting and overwhelming. So that's where I was in January. I couldn't do it anymore. My emotional tank, I don't know, you come up with a number. It was low. But music has filled my sabbatical. And early on, Mercy Me kind of said, the way I, said it the way I felt. They put it this way. They say sometimes you win some and sometimes you lose some. And right now, I'm losing bad. 
I've stood on this stage night after night reminding the broken, it'll be all right. But right now, oh, right now, I just can't. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm hold, held to the flames like I am right now? Now, don't feel sorry for me. That's not the point. I, I chose this. I'm here willingly. And let me make one thing very clear. I am not resigning. And I will... And I will tell you why not eventually. This morning, this morning, but eventually. You've got to listen to the rest of the message. But I say this just because I think you deserve to know. And if I'm going to be authentic with you and real, that's where I was in January. I crawled away. I'm hopping back, but I crawled away. But there's a second and more important part to this message. And as we begin to gather back together, how do we navigate all of this biblically? How do we reenter life after a pandemic? I think in many ways God is giving us an opportunity to reset our personal lives and to reset the life of the church family. And instead of returning to the same old, same old patterns and habits and behaviors, God is giving us a rare opportunity to build back better. And that's why I decided to return from the sabbatical with this series, Return. There's one of the Hebrew words for return. I'm not interested in returning to life as it was pre-pandemic. The world has changed dramatically. We need to change with it. We need to be wise. So how do we return? Well, the Bible gives us some examples, some advice, some promises about returning from a captivity. This morning, we're going to go over a few of those in the Old Testament, and then next Sunday morning, we're going to begin a journey through one prophet who has a lot to say about it. So this morning, I want to introduce you to three principles about how to return. How do we build back a better life in ministry? If you have your Bibles, open them to the book of Ezra. Haven't been there in a while, have you? Ezra. From Ezra, we learn one thing. In Ezra chapter 3 is where we'll end up. In the book of Ezra, number one, expect to feel mixed emotions. When the people were allowed to return to Israel after their 70 years in exile of captivity in Babylon, they come back and discover what? Everything's destroyed. Their houses, everything. It's in ruins, so they have to rebuild. And they have to rebuild the, the temple, the house of worship. And so they start with the laying of a new foundation for a new temple. And that brought what? Tons of joy. People were so excited. But then those who remembered the temple of Solomon were like, what do you mean? This is terrible. It's nothing like the old one. Here's how Ezra puts it. Ezra chapter 3, verse 3. Despite their, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord. They didn't have the building, but they had the, the, you know, the foundation. They built the altar. They made sacrifices, both the, evening, the morning and the evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what was written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles which required, with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. 
Verse 6, on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundations of the Lord's temple had not been laid. Verse 7, they gave the money. Down in verse 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and the trumpets and the Levites, and they had the choir going and everything's there. Verse 11, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He's good. His love toward Israel endures forever. It's a grill. They're singing. It's great. Verse 12, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many of the others shouted for joy. Verse 13, no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. What's going on? Well, they got this reunion. They are finally back together in Jerusalem. They're in their area to worship. They're laying the foundation of the temple, and they've got mixed emotions. Don't be surprised as you come back if you experience mixed emotions. As we begin these public worship service, live band, things are different now. We're easing into this. You can feel the joy of being back together, but you can feel the sadness for the things we've lost in the last 15 months. If you have mixed emotions, welcome to the human race. It's 100% normal. The past months have been, a, an ex, we have all experienced a tsunami of grief. Families grieving over the loss of, of half a million family members who've died. And those not touched by the virus, we've had losses, lost jobs, lost graduation celebrations, missed celebrations, missed family events, missed weddings. People who died, maybe not from COVID, you couldn't even go. We've got to be empathetic with other people's mixed emotions in the days ahead. It's been a very difficult time and season of life. We weep with those who weep, and we rejoice with those who rejoice. Give yourself some grace for those mixed emotions and give it to others. We've had a full year to think about where we are. And now you've got to, you know, we've developed new habits. Well, now these are different habits. And things are going to radically change again for us. So expect some mixed emotions. You're normal. It's okay. Number two, we should evaluate everything before resuming it. Haggai, the prophet, spoke to Israel as they were just trying to get back to normal. And he wrote them to encourage them in this transition. He wrote after the 70-year captivity. And one of the big things he says is this, evaluate everything before resuming it. Don't just go back to doing automatically what you did before. There's some stuff you were doing before this pandemic started and that you shouldn't start doing again after the pandemic is over. God's giving us an opportunity to reset our lives, to establish new habits and patterns. Don't just go back automatically and do what you did before. There are actually some things you've always wanted to start doing. Maybe it's a ministry in the church, but you never had time. Well, guess what? Maybe now's a good time. And there are things you shouldn't do because they were harming you. 
God's giving us right now an amazing opportunity to reset life. Haggai, verse, chapter 1, verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. That sounds familiar. <laughs> this is what the Lord says, the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains in a ruin, each, while each of you is busy with your own house. So, so what's he talking about? He's talking about really a sense of unfulfillment, a sense of frustration. He's saying you're all frustrated because your needs aren't being met. You plant and you do this and you never quite have enough. I know you're frustrated, God says. You know, I've been frustrated too. So give serious thought to your ways. What are you doing? God is telling you to do this. If you don't do it, you're disobedient. You admit to a, a lack of fulfillment. You feel that? I keep eating, but I'm not satisfied. I keep drinking, but I'm still thirsty. They're metaphors for dissatisfaction. Just admit it. Why am I so unfulfilled? And if what I was doing before the, before the pandemic was unfulfilling, why in the world would I do it again now? Just because I can do it doesn't mean I should do it. Do you want to just restart the rat race? I certainly don't. But there are some things I need to include in a post-pandemic life. Ask the right questions. For me, I'm back in the water. I'm swimming twice a week for an hour at least, and I'm supposed to do three, but we'll see. I'm going to delegate more. Everything's moving fine. Why do I need to pick up what the other people are doing around me? Shh, don't tell them. I want to spend more time in the study. Now, before I get further, I really ought to talk to the elders first. But you get the idea. It's time to evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. What have you learned from this pandemic? You've had a lot of time at home. Have you ever written it down so you don't forget it? Use those things that you write down that you might come back healthy and wise. So expect to feel some mixed emotions. Evaluate everything in your life before resuming it. And now we're going to dip our toes into the New Testament a little bit. None of you have the same level of energy you probably had before this all started. How do I know? Because that's kind of how trauma works. It's draining. And if your battery's been drained every single day by, by all the changes and the restrictions and the different things that have happened, this drip, 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 you're not going to have the same energy. It's okay. Don't come back full force. Take your time. It's okay. It's not to say you'll never get that level of energy back. You will. 
but be smart about it. And it's important that you not waste energy and you use less of it. Number three, eliminate the non-essentials in my life. The things that are not essential, get rid of them. There are three of them pointed out in the New Testament. Number one is sin. Hello. (laughs) Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles you. There's one thing that probably survived COVID, and that's your sin. Your bad habits, your patterns, your bad attitude. And it's those habitual sins and that anger and the impatience and the fear and the jealousy and need I go on. That list is almost endless. If it was with you at the beginning of COVID, it's probably with you at the end unless you really worked on it this year. God says that sin is something you really do want to let go of it because it all holds us down. What's my habitual sin that I don't want to take now that life is resuming again? Second thing is the non-essential things. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Some things are not necessarily wrong. They're they're just not necessary. And you have a limited amount of time. And right now you have a limited amount of energy. So look at your life. Look at your schedule and ask yourself, okay, if I did this before COVID and I cut it back, do I need to restart it? Maybe not. Did I miss it? Eliminate permanently some non-essential things that maybe you used to do just because you did them. Maybe it's time to change your ministry focus. Maybe it's time to adjust your schedule. I don't know. Third thing to get rid of or eliminate are old old attitudes. Ephesians 4, verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. There there are old destructive patterns you were, who you were before you came to know Christ. Now you're not that person. You're a new person. So don't do those things anymore because every self-defeating behavior in life that you do, it's based on a lie. So get rid of your old self. Put it to death. He says it is dead, so act like it. And put on the new self. Put your mindset on the new. Reset And when I use that word reset, it's just the modern term for put on your new self, which is created to be like God. So how about a homework assignment? You want one? Tough. (laughs) Instead of making a to-do list this week, I want you to make a to-don't-do list. A, what does it say? I told you. A don't-do list. There you go. Don't make a to-do list. Make a don't-do list. What are some things that I used to do that I'm not going to restart now that we're getting back to normal? Examine your life. Evaluate it before you automatically resume anything. Solomon said this in Proverbs 19.2, zeal without knowledge is not a good thing. And a person who moves too quickly may go the wrong way. Zeal's not a good thing if it's just on its own. You need the knowledge. Zeal is enthusiasm and passion and excitement. 
Before you get all worked up about something and this restored freedom that we have, evaluate everything before you resume it. This return is your chance for a reset. For you individually, for us as a church family. It's time for a new and a fresh version of Peninsula. I don't know how many we've had. We're on probably Peninsula 6.0 by now. I don't know. Maybe more. But coming back, we need to eliminate non-essential things in my life. We need to expect to have some mixed emotions, and we need to evaluate everything. Now, next week, we're going to take a bit of a turn in this, because as we return, I want to explore one Old Testament prophet, and I think he's a prophet who acts kind of like a mirror to our own age. He wrote in a time of transition in the nation of Israel and really in the entire Old Testament. He clearly anticipates a future that's amazing, but he is honest about modern life. As we return, we need to listen to this prophet. Why? Because he tells us, he talks about what stuff God really cares about. What does God care about? Well, as we come back, we, we better adjust ourselves and our lives to those things. Is it stuff we tend to forget? Or is it stuff that our hearts are in line with? So we're going to dig in and listen to Malachi for the next few weeks. God has a lot to say to Malachi, like 80 to 90% is all the words of God. And the people, they speak to God in Malachi, not much. But when they speak... You get a window into their heart, and it ain't good. Their love for God has grown cold. They're careless in how they practice their faith. They ask God a lot of questions like, how have you loved us, God? How have we wearied you? How are we to return? Oh, come on, God. How do we rob you? How have we said anything against you? See, they don't want to learn. They want to argue. And as the prophet answers these questions, he reveals to the people how hard their hearts had become. Because they had concluded that it was not worth serving God because they didn't get anything out of it. No benefit for them. One example, Malachi 3.14. You have said it is futile to serve God. What, what do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord God Almighty? What good is this? But are we any different? I think they serve as a mirror to our present, at least secular world. Modern man wants to measure God by the standards of human justice. Do we do that the same thing in the church? I think if we do, Malachi has something very specific to say to us. And when Malachi tells them what God really thinks about them, they look back and they say, <laughs> we don't see that. Do we? How many of us think that if we serve God or because we serve God, God has to approve of us? So that when we have a problem in life, pandemic, lost job, romance that goes sour, sickness, death, we immediately blame God. We hold him accountable. How could you do this to me? I just, I serve you. 
Malachi is going to speak to lip service believers who have a form of morality but deny its power. And he's going to show us how do you really honor God? So as we return, we need to ask, what's the stuff that God really cares about? That's where this series will take us. And I hope it will help us find a new and a fresh vision for God and a new version of Peninsula. Because that's why I'm back. Let me answer the why I did not resign question lingering in your mind. Because the answer isn't all that complicated. I came back because the work of God here is not futile. Some pastors concluded that their work among their people was waste, a waste of their time. One pastor wrote this. People are largely not in church for spiritual reasons. It's just another part of the world for most. The world's junk is brought in and defeats the entire purpose of meeting as a church. The main reason I resigned is because what's the point? Everything I was doing seemed futile, misunderstood, and easily rejected by the people I was doing it for. It leaves a guy feeling like there's no reason to continue. Why bother? No one's listening anyway. The word of God is not heard over the deafening din of the world's clamor. I have no interest in trying to yell louder. After over 20 years of being a pastor, I had to get out for my own spiritual sanity to get me to a place where I could again hear the still, small voice of God. I read that a couple of months ago, and my first thought, I'm not going to resign. Why not? Because I know this is a place. Oh, I can't see. Because I know this is a place where people really do want to know God. You are a people who are interested in hearing from God. And so I'm not just talking to the walls, although I spent a quite about a year doing that, actually. <laughs> I found my compelling reason to return, and it is you. The greatest honor of my life is to teach the Word week in and week out. And so I'm ready to come back I'm not at 100%. Don't, don't kid yourself. It takes longer than that. But what I want to do is ask you on the other side of the coin, are you still ready to hear the word? Are you with me as we move forward, listening to the great shepherd of our souls? Because that's what I need to know this morning. I'm back. Are you ready to be back? Not just come back but be back. Are you ready to return to God and to renew your commitment to live under the authority of His Word? Because if you are, I'm, I'll return with you. I think we've spent long enough looking for rivers to refresh the water of our souls when God says, you know, I'm out here in the desert. I'm here. 
See, that's our great hope, that we have a great God who is still pouring out His love over all of us. And it's time to rediscover the joy of that journey and to find in Jesus, and only Jesus, the reason to sing. And when you take that journey with me, are you ready to follow the Word of God and let it shape and mold our lives? Are you ready to listen to the great shepherd of our souls? And when you listen to the word over the deafening din of the noise of this world, and if you are, I'm ready to come back. And if you are, we're going to come to the table of the Lord this morning because we need to reflect on the story of the Savior who has given his life as a ransom for each one of us. Are you ready to come back with me? Don't answer it. I know you are. I hope. Let's pray. Father, it's been quite the journey. And someday, we'll really be grateful for it. But right now, we are grateful for you and for these people with whom we have walked. And Father, it is my prayer that we come back together seeking you above all else. This isn't about me. This isn't about this church. This is all about you. That you might be our great hope, our great God, and that we will know you and you will restore our souls. And so we give these moments to you in Jesus' name. Amen.